we have AI technology taken over the world in many respects, may that be manufacturing, may that be social aspects from robots to people helping people with dementia, it's fair to say that AI is on the way up and we're seeing massive progression of it. And what does that mean for society? What does that mean for jobs? What does that mean for culture? What does that mean for car crashes? What does that mean for so, so much? And also, you know, the push of Bitcoin in the UK, the push of central bank digital currencies, the push of this new dystopian future that many of us thought was a conspiracy theory, but now it's coming to fruition. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by no other than a guy who's actually studied AI. So we're joined by Peter Jacobs. What is going on? Hello. Uh, I would say it's a pleasure to be here, but I'd be lying. <laughs> Thanks, that. Um... Yeah, it's it's basically every week that Rory is begging me to come onto this podcast. And uh, who are you? <laughs> once in a while, I've got to oblige him. <laughs> um, I do think I've appeared on here the most times. I oh, know maybe Steve Gomez. More. Um, no, nah, there's this there's this like Bitcoin economist guy. Oh, and you got those young Tories, I guess. Nah, well, they nah, appear quite a often. Few, a few times, a few times. Well, it's only yeah, it's not that often. Okay. Anyway, so I thought let's. Do you want to give a little more introduction about yourself? or Is that enough for it to surpass the viewers' eardrums? It's hard to get out of the mode of <laughs> constantly trying to rinse you and into a more serious mode. Um, Isn't that cute? Well, <laughs> anyway, let's start off by talking about the job sector of AI because I like to talk about, you know, what is effect it's going to have on, <clears throat> you know, regular people in the sense of artificial intelligence, because it's, you know, it's, it's dangerous. I know, you know, I've got friends who are engineers, I've got friends who are, you know, going into certain manual skilled jobs, might be Sparky or whatever, you know, I have friends who do that, and I'm, you know, what is the environment around it taking over the job sector? Yeah, you take a few seconds there, mate, you take a few seconds. Let, let's actually, well, this is from built in, so this is quite interesting. So AI-powered job manufacturing is a pressing concern as technology is adopted in industries like marketing, manufacturing, and healthcare. 85 million jobs are expected to be lost between to automation between 2020 and 2025 with black and Latino employees left especially vulnerable. So what, what are your thoughts? I think I was first introduced to this idea, um, what's his name? Andrew Yang. Yeah, by by Andrew Yang, um, who at that time was a billionaire turned candidate for the 2016... Um, I don't think he's a billionaire. No, he's a billionaire. Is he? Yeah. Billionaire turned um, candidate in the 2016 Democratic primary, primary. He didn't end up winning that. He he, uh, he must have come fifth or sixth, and now he started his own party called the Forward Party. Um, but one of his main policy planks was universal basic income. Um, and universal basic income, in Andrew Yang's conception and others' conception, um, is is an economic device that exists to fill the gap uh, that will be created in the economy at the point at which um, AI makes thousands, millions redundant. So um, Andrew Yang gave the example of uh, truck drivers in America 
Yeah, in, in 27 of the 50 states, truck driving is the number one uh, profession. Uh, but truck driving is a type of work that is under threat in the era of self-driving cars, which are growing in prominence and use. Still, I think the idea of a driverless car is, is something weird. Um, I think the big reason is because with a driverless car, let's say, I mean, here's an example. A little girl's com- coming down... There's, there's, they're driving and <clears throat> they're driving to school. There's a little girl at the zebra crossing, crossing the road, but there's also a car next to the girl. The the tire of the Tesla falls off. What do they do? Do they crash into the girl? Or do they crash into the car? There has to be a decision in the AI. What do they focus on? Or like they're going around a roundabout. S- someone pulls into them. They can either move, kill a girl or c- move and kill a family. What do they do? Who makes the decision of that? grade of evil and responsibility uh important questions i think the stock response from uh self-driving car advocates is that uh you know self-driving cars will cause accidents you know self-driving cars will um be in car crashes They'll they'll kill animals. They'll crash into other cars. They'll they, maybe they'll kill children. Um, hopefully not. But they will still do this less than normal cars. Um, statistically speaking, now I hope so. It'd be a bit fucking pointless. Well, well yeah, but that that's a quite a crucial point. I yeah, mean, and and the, and I guess the 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 point would be, are they are they much safer? Than, than normal cars or are they just a bit safer um you know if they're much safer than normal cars then um it's not a good argument to say well they cause accidents too because it's about you know the margins. risk benefit yeah. yeah i mean zooming out a bit it's all about who controls it you know the centralized authority is it a you know government bureaucrat and we've seen I won't go into it the past two years what what happens when you give authority to people how much they enjoy it and they manipulate it um you know who controls it because a car that's that's an autonomy of someone's self in a sense like you know when you see what's happened right now with you les all of a sudden people are saying you know what you you can't control my life i can't afford a new car so if we have ai built into cars where self-driving and everything is controlled by one centralized authority that's a dodgy precedent because it means that someone else is in control overall and that could be a positive thing one year when when there's a certain prime minister or <laughs> president then another year all of a sudden that flips and it doesn't look so pleasant when you can't drive your car to get away to protest to meet a family member who's dying so, and you know linking that back into central bank digital currencies Looking that back, there's been no sorry, sorry. yeah, zooming that out even further to, to central bank digital currencies. That's the issue. If someone's tell me that there's an easy way of transaction, which is safer, more reliable, easier to do, and that's li- that's simply it, I'll be like, you know, all right, fair enough. Even though I am a bit, you know, well, I don't know, I quite like cash. It's it's a nice form of you know giving them that. But when you look at central bank digital currencies, that's not the issue people have. The issue they have is the model is adapted from communist china the issue people have is governments have an ultimate control the issue people have is what happened in canada with the truck protest where protesters who who had i think five million for the canadian truckers was shut down people had their bank accounts frozen there was a woman who couldn't pay rent because she donated 
to, a, to just to a organization. Look, you're conflating a lot of issues here. No, 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 no I'm no, not. You, you really I'm are. Not, no, you really are. You no, really I'm are. Not. You really are. I okay. A few things to say. First thing, I haven't researched about central bank digital currency. I don't really want to talk about it, and I never signed up to talking about that. I can talk about Bitcoin in the in the abstract, but. Uh, it all links I, I, I haven't read a single article about. Authority. I haven't read a single article about that, so I'm not comfortable to talk about that. Uh, second point is y- you talk about people's bank accounts being frozen. I mean, yeah, governments have the capacity to do that. That's not headline news. But, but I mean, and then the third point is, look, I wanted to talk about universal basic income, and we got can, sidetracked. It. But can I just address your what you just said? So that's well, I know you said a little bit about Bitcoin. That's a reason why. <laughs> when we become a less cashless society, it's dodgy. Now we have shops saying you cannot pay with cash. This is dodgy because people said during COVID that we would we would become a cashless society. There were actually protests in Nottingham, I believe, in Bristol saying we need to keep cash. And now I go to a shop in London, I can't pay with cash. And I'm what's going on? And and Wait, that's so, so, so what, what are you saying is going on there? Well what I'm saying is going on is if you like it or not, your autonomy over your wealth is dwindling. You don't have autonomy over your money anymore. And let's say let's say the infrastructure in Canada was built up where all the protesters donated through Bitcoin, right? The government couldn't just be like, well, they could if they did it through certain platforms, but they couldn't if they did it like certain ways, shut it down. And that's that's something really great where people can donate money to organizations if they want. They can give money to someone if they want. And the government can't say oh, well, we don't like... If you're Black Lives Matter, you can take the money, but if you're for body autonomy, you can't, you know? Well, as usual, dense forest of points there, you know, impossible to really pick apart, <laughs> you know? So... Um, Lovely response. I mean, are you... Are you? What, what? So are you, are you advocating, you know, that we continue with a cash-based financial order well continue with a cash base that's not accurate but are you saying we hold on to cash in economic transactions uh forever yeah uh, it's it's well, the resistance we need to keep I it mean, if the cash way, goes the way people fucked. do financial transactions it, it's it's altered with history you know people used to trade with um you know just bits of bits of bronze you know bit bits of rare metal um yeah that was great with, with shells yeah you know and so no, well that's fine, but it's it's not great, it's not good or bad. It's just you know, with time, uh, people the, the, can't the, with time, them. the way financial transactions happen alters. So you want to attribute that change to you know this idea of government overreach, this idea of you know big government breaching uh, people's ability to <laughs> conduct um, independent financial transactions. Uh, and I, I, I say, you know, historically speaking, the way financial transactions happen uh, changes with time. And that that's not something we can point to and say that's authoritarian, that's an authoritarian encroachment inherently. I mean, you might have a point, maybe, I mean, okay, if we look to China, um, the way a lot of people do a lot of their financial transactions is with, uh, what's it called, that social media? we we chat we chat right so we chat social media you know because twitter facebook banned in china <clears throat> so most people use WeChat. um but WeChat's more than a social media and actually this is what elon musk wants to do with twitter as well 
he wants he wants uh, people to um, be able to you know use Twitter not just as a you know public square for ideas but also um, a purchasing device. But anyway, with WeChat in China, yeah, people are using it on social media, but they're also using it to buy their groceries. They're using it to pay their tax. Um, they're using it to purchase their car insurance. Um, and that sort of gives WeChat a bit of a hegemony over people's data. Because um, not only do they know what people are purchasing, um, they they know what people are thinking because they're a social media as well. Um, so I think there's something to be said for um, a separation of powers, so to speak, you know, social media being social media, you know, um, banks being banks, merging it all together um, under one headline, um, under one corporation, you know, is that is that something that will benefit consumer rights or does that put too much power into uh, the hands of individual corporations? I would, I would argue it does the latter. Um, right. Just, just to, well, well I want to rebuttal a lot of what you said. That I know you don't want to go into it, but <laughs> okay, first of all, you, you talked about how, you know, the currencies, we've always had currencies and this is just a natural transformation. The major thing that you just completely missed on there is you people couldn't take someone's money away and they couldn't control who they gave money to. That's well, people, the c- people could take people's money away. I mean, you know, um, <coughs> the, I mean, they, they, okay, no, so, 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 what we used to see was um, uh, well, king, you know, kings and kings and queens. You know, if they wanted to raise tax, they could just do that against yeah, the population. But, but you also know that, like, you could give money to someone or you could buy certain things without anyone knowing because it wasn't under a centralized authority. I mean, you're, you're talking about a pre-internet age. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the majority of transactions we do now are traceable yeah that's just but don't, but that's don't you under- change but what you're propo- you are completely downplaying everything the bottom line is if you want to admit it or not these are the facts the uk is pushing exactly what they have in china one they want what you sound like to be in control controlled the online safety bill it came out legal but harmful we're going to censor and then you know all these tory mps well well don't worry we're actually going to save your freedom of speech complete nonsense right they've altered it a bit there's some more right things in there bottom line is they want to do what they have in china where you have very little from what you can actually say two they want to bring in central bank digital currencies where the government has total authority over your money and what you own and let's not get it twisted in china you know you're jaywalking boom comes out your bank account oh you're you brought you brought some stuff. You were bad at work. Oh, your social credit score's gone down. Turns out, you you can't go on holiday um, to a place you want. Oh, you can't apply for this job. Oh, your daughter can't go to this university because you've been a bad boy. There there is to to seriously in the twenty twenty three pretend like there is little to any difference between the objectives of governments of the UK. I'm not talking economics and the fact of like capsis but to act like control wise there's no difference if you even look at it remotely you're like what the fuck (laughs) okay i haven't looked into the online safety bill um so i'm not i'm not gonna pass comment on that (laughs) um 
uh, I mean, I think this is an essential philosophical disagreement that we have. Um, you, you want to believe that the political elites in this country are fundamentally illiberal um, and actually um, more akin to authoritarian regimes than we'd like to believe. Um, I I don't believe that. I, I think for all their faults, um, you do not have the same authoritarian tendencies in the UK as you do um, in in what we class as dictatorships. Uh, there are there are checks and balances on the power of the executive, and on the impact, and even on the power of um, intelligence services that uh, are not super public, especially in the UK because we don't have a codified constitution. But those checks do exist. Um, you know, we do not see prime ministers. Um, uh, locked down you know, the population. Well, allowed allowed to reign in perpetuity, um, like we now have with Xi Jinping. I I just disagree with that. Just completely disagree with that. How could, I don't I don't see how you can disagree with that. Well, one word emergency. I won't go into it, but I do I do need to address also. Look, Rishi Sunak. I'll give an example. There's a lot of left wingers like Jeremy Corbyn who I'm sure will get behind CBDs and all that because it's a way of rich people. We can tax people. We can you know, be more prosperity because we c- people aren't getting away with tax fraud. They're not, you know, having offshore banks. They're actually paying their fair share and all that. And a lot of left-wingers will get behind this in droves because they will love it because it will mean rich people will be taxed to the hill and there won't be ways of avoiding it the same as history. And I know a lot of those people have good intentions. And same with Rishi Sunak. I'm sure Rishi Sunak thinks, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He thinks this is the future, you know, um, Silicon Valley, we're going to be the pioneers of this, you know, this is great. I'm sure he thinks it's great, but the, I'm sure almost every person in government thinks this is amazing and they're doing great. I've, I've got no bats about that. I'm sure mo- majority, there's a, there's a lot of ego trips where they like the power. You can't get away from that. We saw the lockdown files. One of the biggest stories, I think, in the past decade, but, you know, obviously BBC News um, barely covered it. Um, a few articles on their front page, but... Um, no, I mean, was, just was, showed it was very much high profile. <clears throat> not, I mean, that should be being talked about just f- endlessly. I mean, it's it is just broad as daylight. They lie to us, but half the population is still with their eight masks. But so, <laughs> like, there's a lot of great people in government who do great things to themselves, but it doesn't get away from the fact that it's also authoritarian. It's like climate change. You know, there's a lot of people out there who want to save the planet. I think, you know, they their intentions are great. They want to save the planet and all that. But at the same time, they, they don't have the same view philosophy of rights because they think the ends justify the means. And Rishi Sunak, while he does, probably is doing this for the betterment of taxing and all that, it is communist China framework and it is exactly what they're doing communist China. We've seen it with speech. You know, if, if you pray silently you can get arrested. If you um, give someone anxiety on Facebook, they'll get arrested. You'll be thrown in jail. Um, if, you know, you say something wrong, you could you could have your bank debanked and you can't even pay rent. I mean, Tommy Robinson, I don't like Tommy Robinson. Just want to make that crystal clear. I do not like Tommy Robinson. Just to make that pinnacle clear. Because um, I know there'll be a lot of people who contact me with that. Um, 
but this is a man who he couldn't even pay rent at sometimes he couldn't pay for things his his sisters and brother his you know wife his kids like he was paralyzed he he couldn't live this is just i mean what type of society do we live in where people can't live and you you want people to be de-radicalized. So so what happened with Tommy <coughs> Robinson's bank account? So so like he he got debanked. No bank would accept. When was he debanked? Good question. I f- must have been years ago. Who debanked him? Just every bank. So he would try to start a new bank, even under a different name, and it would get closed down. He would even get a friend of a friend to open a bank, and they would still somehow track it back to him, and he couldn't have it. Well, and I mean, <coughs> okay. I also do not like Tony, Tommy Robinson. Not a fan. Um, there's a, you know, do commercial banks, which are private companies, do they have the right to withhold their services as they see fit? Or should the government mandate that they offer their services to anyone who wants them? That's an interesting point. So I hadn't actually thought about that angle. Well, I guess... The reason is because of the cult. Because you, you know, you, if if you're a company and some some and you put out a statement or you platform someone who's you know co- a communist, let's say what's her name, Zadari. You talking about Sarah Zoltana? Yeah. No, no, not Sarah. No, sure, she's not communist. No, she's a socialist. Um. S- oh, oh, oh. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her. Ash Sarka. So let's say a bank platforms her. There isn't going to be right wingers messaging the bank saying, "Why the hell did you message this? Um, you know, left wing extremist, this communist." No, no one's going to message a bank saying that. And even if they do, they oh, won't. Oh yeah, it's it's not like the the right was campaigning super hard to get Gary Lineker cancelled. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. That d- that didn't. Yeah, happen. I mean, Peter, I f- I wrote, I actually stood up for him, but I think there is a bit of nuance in you're paid by the British public of a crap organization, and then you're spousing political beliefs. I guarantee that. Okay. Well, <coughs> no. If it was a well, right, imagine look, it was you a probably right got into that issue on your podcast. With yeah, it, I have. I defended him. I defended him. But I, th- I think you gave that just like thirty seconds of time. You know what? Whereas I love. If that was a high profile. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Figure, done a whole pro- fucking podcast and it can't. <laughs> you um, have not done a whole podcast. Yes, I, I, I called it like, uh, I, I spoke about it for like you know two thirds of the podcast. Okay, fair enough. I take um, I mean, yeah, I mean that is a man of absolute no principle. He's, you know, he's part of the cult again. Like we. What s- is this? The cult. It's my new word now because I'm. It, it's just a cult. It's straight what, up. What is a cult? A cult is people who believe something and no matter what you show them, no matter what comes out, no matter what around anything they're focusing on comes out, they will still follow the cult. I'll give you an example. Left winger. Like people who are anti-war, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-war. Ukraine comes around. Let's send billions to Ukraine. There's no there's no philosophy in it. It's a cult. It's a cult. You wave your Ukrainian well, that's flag. That's a rubbish example. Or, I mean, I'm or, anti-war. I back another Another example. Um, uh, Oh, I'm left wing. I'm skeptical of these big capitalist organizations. You know, our deregulation, I think it's terrible. I think these capitalist systems, these big multinational corporations, we should be skeptical of them. And then this big multinational corporation comes along that has had the biggest fine in history for frauding data and doctors. And the left wing go, yeah, you're an anti-vaxxer if you question that. We shouldn't investigate that. And do you know the only people we talk about are 
people who are classified as far right. We have far right people skeptical of multinational corporations and left wingers attacking them for being skeptical of multinational corporations. The, it's a cult. That it's it's not left wing or right. Where are left wing people attacking far right people for? Um, no, not far right. Well, well, all right, sorry, I shouldn't say far right. Okay, right okay. wingers. Yeah. Where are left wingers um, <coughs> questioning the? Uh, skepticism towards Big Pharma. Where are they? Well, wh- where are those conversations happening? Right, so perfect example, The Guardian, and you'll say, oh, well, it's centre-left. There's also a lot of far-left people who write in The Guardian. Let's, you know, let's not dance around the bush, beat around the bush. And Andrew Bridgen, famous article, he got groomed by anti-vax doctor Asim Malhotra. So you have a right-wing conservative... The Guardian, a left-wing news outlook, who, bear in mind, Asim's actually wrote for The Guardian multiple times. This is really scummy of him. But I don't want to get into that. It's just, it's a cult. There's no philosophy. There's no, I'm left-wing. There's no, I'm anti-war. There's no, I'm skeptical of capitalism. There's no, I'm a socialist. It's just, it's a cult. Like, I mean, it's a cult. How, How else do you describe it? where someone has zero principles or moral compass in their beliefs. It's just follow, follow what you're told, do what you're told, wave the flag. Well, we're not really talking about AI at this point. I mean, um, so much of what you're saying comes down to where you stand on lockdown, because I think (laughs) if you, um, if you take away the pandemic, um, there's less there's less currency to what you're saying. Now, you you would have us believe that like the lockdown files, the you know the leaked WhatsApps from the idiot Matt Hancock, <laughs> um, uh, are you know sort of expose in broad daylight that um, there was no real basis for lockdown. To me. That's not the case. Like, um, this isn't medical advice. Do not take this as medical advice. Go to WHO website. Go to NHS website. This is not medical advice. Do not talk to, listen to people on the internet. Speak to your own personal doctor. This is not medical advice. Yeah. Um, Should we bring it back to... I know you want to rebuttal a lot of that, but... I mean, do you want to... Or do you want to bring it back to AI? Just make this final point, which is that... um, God, that is a long pause. Fucking knife. <laughs> the 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 leaked WhatsApps. What they indicate is that there was a cynical manipulation of the facts around COVID by the governing elite. That you know, um, you know. Hancock was saying we we need to scare the pants off people. Um, let's drop this new variant. Let's drop this new variant. But 
what 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 the governing elite in that scenario is doing they are engaging in questions of governance in in questions of public health management you know they are even though it's crude and offensive what they're trying to do is to get people to act on mass in a way that they believed and they were advised to believe was the safest way for people to behave um so even though it's crude and offensive as i've said um it doesn't it doesn't expose for all to see that covid was a <laughs> hoax it doesn't it it just it just shows that the people who were in power to uh defend um you know the the population from the effects of covid were 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 uh blunt tools you know that these these weren't expert administrators these weren't serious individuals these were people who had been born into a certain trajectory that led them towards the corridors of power um and suddenly found themselves in a pandemic type scenario and so they were just communicating um in a way that was natural to them so can i ask you what could they have said that would change your view on covid because if if they come out and say they were open and let's not also forget that at the same time they were saying let's scare the pants off them let's drop this new variant they were meeting each other and having parties and drinking together so hang on let's let's actually break this down just to just to actually actually get the magnitude of what's going on they locked us down then it comes out that their messages to lock us down was uh, emotional manipulation. And at the same time as that, they were partying to meet each other because they were so terrified of the disease. So, but the the take we take away from that, according to Peter, is it was just governing management. It's a bit messy, you know. So my question is, what the hell could they have possibly said that would reanalyze your view of it would would they literally have need to say in the words this isn't as deadly as i thought like would would you even yes, then yes if, so if, oh my fucking if, days if 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 medical advisors um at the time that they were giving the advice to the government um if they were saying things like that and then the government uh responded with uh, a disproportionate measure uh locking down that would be that would be clear as day evidence that um, uh, lockdowns were. What are the words on the text? What what could be the words? Because I'm just no, like no. I I just want to push back on 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 two of your points. So emotional manipulation. Um, uh, I mean, those those are charged pejorative words. Emotional manipulation. You know th- those those words sound very bad, but actually. Um, Government has to manipulate. Well, yes, to a degree, and and it was the sa- okay. Sage well, Files. You don't let La- me. La- sorry, sorry. Laura Dodsworth, um, uh, COVID nineteen, a a panic of fear. I'd need to read the book. That's all about the government. The direct what the government said. They said they were using propaganda to scare the population. And here, my friend, is someone who is still in that place. But yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, and th- so on the point of emo- 
emotional manipulation. Um, this is the thing that you don't really understand. I think it's about public health management. So if you have, you know, 70 million people that you are trying to control the behavior of to contain what you believe to be a disease that could be fatal to thousands, millions of people, then you have to engage in some emotional manipulation. Because, I mean, you can't give, you can't, you can't stand there uh, in the daily press conferences that Boris was giving and give um, long lectures about how, uh, you know, deadly the disease is. You, you, because, because the public attention span is not that long. You have to um, engage in strategic communications that are clear, simple, effective, and that get people to do what you want them to do in order to achieve the policy outcome that you want. So, you know, you say emotional manipulation as if it's the worst thing ever. Um, there's a degree of necessity to it. And the second point that they were partying, I mean, the partying that was taking place, um, they got their dues for that. I mean, it, that, it, it, that's the rebuttal. Yes, that's yes, the rebuttal. No, that's that a good. Is that's, a, that's a good. That is, that, that, that is a good rebuttal. That is a good rebuttal. Oh my that is, fucking that's it, the, the facts that Boris Johnson, someone who was born with a silver spoon, someone who was born, um, uh, you know, on this trajectory for number ten, and who made it to number ten, he spent all of his political capital. Bearing in mind, he comes in with the biggest conservative win since something like 1983. In, 20, in that 2019 election. And then Partygate comes out and all of his political capital, it goes. It goes like that. Um, what does that show? It shows that the system would not tolerate such a level of his hypocrisy. Because it, it, you know, for me, that just shows something of the functionality of Britain's uncodified system. Boris was shamed into leaving number 10. He, you know, in terms of parliamentary majority, he still had it. He still probably had, um, well, by the very end, he didn't really have a majority of his own party. But, you know, he's still good he, he, he yeah. could have held on in, in, in constitutional terms, but he was shamed into exit and it was Partygate that precipitated that. So you act like there were no consequences to Partygate. No, there were big consequences. Uh, right, right. Th this is the elephant in the room that you've just, this, this really summarised it because I spoke exactly about what you're talking about. So while everyone was focusing on, oh, Boris broke the rules, Boris, he must face the consequences, meh, you know, all that. The, the, the biggest elephant, so big that the room's about a break is... This man told you your grandma's going to die. This man said, this is a deadly virus. You could die. This is a man who locked us down, yet he was so unbelievably terrified of it. And all of his Tory MPs... What are you talking about? That was not an elephant in the room. That was Keir Starmer's exact line of attack. Keir Starmer would start every Prime Minister's questions talking about another person in another part of the country who hadn't been able to go to their mum, dad, Oh my goodness, you still funeral. can't see it. You still he, can't he would, see it. You every, still can't see he would open it. This is brilliant. This is absolutely... <laughs> he would open... This, this he would, he would open every single Prime oh Minister's questions like me. that. Oh my fucking to, to, goodness. To, 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 to underline the hypocrisy. <laughs> you, you, you still can't see it. You seriously can't see it. Oh my guys, this this right here is what I'm talking. I'm not saying you're fully in the cult, but this is okay, the cult. I'm stop, in. look, stop, stop. Look, you know, look, stop being such a tribal hack. You know, I'm not being you a know, tribal you know, hack. calling out your audience like right, this. Right, right. Like you're not engaging <coughs> no, me no, in this right, point. Okay, right, let me explain. Right, 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 let me it's explain. not the elephant no, in the room. No, you didn't I, even let me finish. Look, That's why you didn't know what I said. If everyone acknowledges that the elephant is in the room, the elephant is not in the room. You didn't let me finish what you said, so you don't actually know what was. So this is a good example. I should interrupt. Right, so he said it was a super deadly virus. B, 
but it was so deadly that him and a bunch of other Tory MPs were fine to mingle with each other. So this is this is the aspect that I find hilarious about people like Keir Starmer. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, there was a grand in North Westershire who was dying and she had to die That's alone. Right, yeah, sorry. North Lancashire. Yeah, hopefully it's free. And she had to die alone. And he focuses on that. But the aspect that's just the the morons in mainstream media, BBC, ITV, you name it, apart from GB News, The Resistance, they, they missed the gaping thing. If this disease was so fucking dangerous, why the actual fuck would they meet in each other and partying? So, and you missed that. You managed to some. I don't know how. Okay, okay. Miss it. I, see, I see your point now. Um, yeah. Um, so the reason that the mainstream media and the political class couldn't uh, call out Johnson in that way is because they had all invested too much into um, the line of opinion that COVID uh, was a deadly disease. Right at at, at the at the time when this was being debated. Um, okay, I'm losing my train of thought a bit. Um, Bear with me, man. I lost my train of thought. What <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean? No, no, yeah, I know you want to leap in here and deny me any thinking time. It's a oppressive authoritarian podcast. <laughs> um, Not like I reach out to people who disagree with me. Oh, yeah, I see lots of left wingers coming on. Oh, yeah, because no one wants to come because they're in the fucking cult. No, because they're worried they'll be shut down by you. Because they're in the cult, because you can't talk to people outside the cult here. Didn't you know? <laughs> um, What's the point? Yeah. Well, okay. One of the points you can make here is that the <laughs> the at the time when Partygate was happening, this was not the. Um, oh, okay, I'm not sure I can say that. Oh, I was going to say that, that was not the crunch time of COVID. That was after the first lockdown. You know, there was a, there was a bit more awareness about the limitations of COVID's lethality. You know, um, so that that's one of the arguments you could put. Um, don't you think it's a bigger perspective though that y- you're this like and I, look that you got got to get out of it sometimes but like the fact that we're we're now in 2023 and it hasn't even conceptualized that angle because of what you consume like all the stuff you consume you haven't even conceptualized because none of the people you listen to look at it from that angle okay i <clears throat> I mean, I do think there is a problem in the way political discourse operates that certain perspectives are so flushed out that you are fed one narrative. I will concede that. And I I will say I I want to see more dialogue uh, between people who disagree with each other. Um, I do think that uh, whilst I disagree with sort of the vaccine injured community in terms of the way they choose to interpret uh the pandemic and and the governance of the pandemic i do believe that they need to be listened to um by um the political class the media class much more than they have um 
And I say that on a human level because people are suffering. Um, I think that's undeniable. And um, it's not good enough to write off these people as loonies. I think that's, um, I mean, fundamentally disrespectful, you know. Um, So I do oppose that. Um, But... um, how how would you address it? How would you? Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. A lot of people wouldn't, in your political leads, for sure, to say the least. But I mean, again, how would you address the fact that the people who said it was dangerous were so terrified of it, and they thought you were going to die? No, so okay. Much. Well, so you you simply address that by saying that. Well, they were just hypocrites. Is that it? I mean, look, the nature of the parties that took place in Downing Street were the, these were contained affairs. You know, these were. Um, multiple people, multiple drinks, passing drinks, like yeah, yeah. So, so, but, 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 quite limited in scope and scale, right? So, I'm not, I'm not saying that to undercut the um, significance of these parties, but I'm saying that again from a public health management perspective, if the in, you know, if these gatherings are one, two, three, four, five gatherings in Downing Street, that's one thing. But if it you know, if those gatherings are multiplied by, uh, whatever, 10,000, um, you know, how many people die as a result of that? But can I just... How say, many people catch COVID right, as a result yeah, of that? You right, know, it, it's about scale. Right, fair point. But let's just picture, let's say Ebola got to the UK and the government said, this is a very deadly, deadly disease. It's got a 90% mortality rate. You're going to die. And then we saw the government meeting each other, partying, you you think people wouldn't go, you know what, I think there might be a possibility that it's not as deadly as they said. And then messages come out of them saying, let's scare the pants off them with this Ebola. Let's make it seem like it's extra... Well, no, sorry, they didn't say that. Okay, okay. Let's drop this new variant of Ebola to scare them. You think you think people with... A, with okay, okay. With I, I, want, I want to rephrase think. the way Matt Hancock said that. So, you know, let's scare the pants off them. Um, that's that's him using sloppy, you know, arrogant language. Um, so that's the cop out. No, 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 sloppy, no, no, no. But, but but the way he could say that was, we need people to um, play to the rules that we have set. So we need this communication to cut through. That's another way of saying what he has said there. But the way he said it, it seems like, um, oh, there's no real problem here, but let's scare the pants off. But but no, I mean, what, what he's really trying to say there is we need people to respond to this policy. You know, so the, the, what we're talking about is tonality in language. Right. Fair play. And it, I mean, it's not just in the UK. You had the exact same thing happen in America. Tony Fauci said to people, a guy at Stanford, he said, there's this group of em- eminent scientists who are gathering in droves. We need to defame them. We need to take them down. They can't get popularity because they were freaking out. They're like, oh my goodness. They're these eminent people from the best universities, the best places on the planet saying that what we're doing is nonsense. We need to defame them. And then they done. And this is documented text messages of this jay bachachari of stanford professor of medicine you know i've spoke to him personally i've met him absolutely phenomenal man risked his whole career to speak out and 
almost everything he predicted has come to absolute fruition. That man needs a medal and in years to come will be looked upon as a champion of what he did. So it's it's not just the UK where we, we saw the collusion of taking down people because when you silence those who dis- who speak out, there only becomes one science. Obviously, there's obviously follow the science if anyone who disagrees with the science is silence. There is only one science. Follow the science. Jay Bashar, Sinetra Gupta, Martin Kordorf, these people have balls of steel and in years to come we're already seeing people dropping dead now they will be looked upon as champions and i'm proud to say that i followed these people and followed them right from the beginning and when it all comes out in the 10-year COVID inquiry all the people all the people who were in lockstep they need to say apology they i'm they need to say sorry for what they did to people it's just appalling. People lost their jobs. Kids died. P- p- kids are starving to death around the world. The UN, 192 million people slung into poverty directly due to lockdown. It is appalling. If you supported lockdown, right, straight up, I'd, you might have had good intentions, but it resulted in people being murdered and dying. And you need to seriously look in okay, the mirror. That's not murder. This. That's not right, murder. Right, okay, any right, legal right, definition, okay. okay right, that's right, not okay, murder. Right. But you do need to seriously look in the mirror and say, I did fuck up. And if you come out and say you fucked up like Piers Morgan did in in some respects, I've got a bit of respect for you because you're saying you're wrong. What doing. does Piers say? <clears throat> well, he was one of the loonies who's saying we need to take away anti-vaxxers rights and all this. And then he started to realise, holy shit, there's not actually consensus on this. Holy shit. And now he's actually, he's got a more nuanced perspective and he's writing this book, How I Fucked Up. And I actually got a lot of respect. What, that's for what the book's called. Um, how I got it wrong. How I fucked something like that. Anyway, I, he's I, talking about COVID. Yeah, and like how he like, and he's also spoken into his how he demonised people and all of this. And I, I, to be, like Piers Morgan right now, even though he's got his lowest viewing ratings and he's <coughs> hated by a lot of people, I actually got a lot of respect for him because he's actually more nuanced now, and he actually is saying, you know what, I was part of the corporate machine. I. I didn't want to talk to scientists who disagreed with me. I didn't want to, I wanted to close my eyes and demonize people. And now he's saying, I really messed up. And for that, I've got a bit of respect. So if you're listening and you're one of those people who was in lockstep, you know, it's not too late to say, I fucked up. I shouldn't have listened to BBC News. I shouldn't have just listened to what I got told. I should have actually had a critical mindset. I should have actually cared about human rights. I should have actually been skeptical of big multinational corporations. I should have actually kept with principles and been pro, you know, liberties and human rights and body autonomy, the con- most controversial things in the 21st century. But yeah, let's fucking go back to AI. <laughs> I'll just need to say that because it, you know, there will be a time where you say to me, you're Rory, and I know the time will come. <laughs> it, it will come, it will come. You'll say, you know, it'll be fucking, I don't know, the FT or Rory Stewart on his podcast <laughs> who says fucking, you know what, guys, you know, we shouldn't have actually supported the second lockdown. We shouldn't have actually supported locking people in their homes in every measurable metric. It's been a complete fuck up from start to finish. I'm I'm sorry, I apologise. We shouldn't have done that. And they'll come out... Lockdown... Lockdown is a blunt instrument. I mean, you know, uh, nobody had been through a pandemic before. You know, people, you know, countries started locking down. Countries responded to other countries. You know, fine, Sweden was a bit of an outlier. Other Florida. countries. Well, state. Um, Seven million people. But, I mean, the way I see it, countries did what they could. You know, um, and of course, mistakes were made and people have suffered. 
and we I, haven't and a, to a and, major part of the population yeah, yeah and they i think haven't learned still well i think that's that's true there has there is not public consciousness has not properly grappled with that time i think most people have moved on they don't want to talk about it anymore if they support it they don't want to talk about it anymore to those who didn't support it we are still going strong because we want to see those held responsible so that's off that's another thing you made those who support lockdown want to say oh it's covid old news old news old news and it's like yeah yeah of course it's old news when it wasn't your daughter who killed herself i know i know this is an emotional argument but it's yeah it's old news if your daughter didn't kill herself because she was locked down it's you know it's old news if you weren't starving to death in africa in ghana or whatever because you couldn't afford food because of supply chain issues it was you know it was old news if it was your job it got lost it was your it was old news if you were a forty thousand care home worker who worked endlessly seven days a week just to be told your body autonomy does not matter it's old news it's old news and it's so if anyone says covid's old news actually look at how they were affected look at did they see someone suffer did they did they speak to people like even a little one i, I had azara on the podcast she's african she spoke about in her village how due to lockdown people just don't eat in the village that that's it because they work to get their food, supply chain issues, they can't sell to certain things. It's fucked. That's it. That's it. So, so it's, it's always old news. BBC News aren't going to talk about it. BBC News lied to you guys. And there'll be there's great people at BBC News. And I know I'm going to run and Peter fucking hates it. But I just got to get this shit out of my system. Because it drives me nuts. <laughs> Keeps me awake at night. BBC News lied to us. There'll be good people in the BBC News who lie to you. There'll be bad people. But the bottom line is, they lied. And for me, BBC News have blood on their hands and I want to defund the living shit out of that organisation. The suffering that that organisation has caused is unprecedented. Okay. Um, a lot in life comes down to emphasis. You know, certain people inevitably will decide to emphasize certain things you know rory has his things he emphasizes it's about his sense of what liberty means you know um (laughs) (laughs) his sense of what freedom looks like um his sense of where you know the most injustice has been seen other people will have different uh emphasis i mean i know people and I'm sure Roy does too, and and you do as well, who are so far away from having the same emphasis as what Rory has. I mean, they would they would consider this to be a bizarre conversation. Um, and some of those people, the thing that they would actually seek to emphasize as a thing that we should be talking about would be the rise of AI. Um, so from what i'm hearing um amongst the top level ai researchers in silicon valley um they will tend to um give a 10% chance to the idea that ai will wipe out humanity altogether now the the so let's put a few things in contact context we're talking about the top ai researchers the people at the front line of this technology you know they know its capacity 
you know, they know its current limitations, they know its future possibilities. So they're kind of qualified to make these assessments. And of these researchers, um, unless I'm butchering my statistics, they, they put it at a 10% chance of, of wiping out humanity. I mean, that is staggering. It's really a staggering statistic. That's one in 10. Um, that That's not to say one in 10 of the researchers think that. It's to say that the researchers will say there's a 10% chance that that could happen as an eventuality. Um, I mean, uh, parallels have been made to the... Uh, what's it called? Is it the Manhattan Project that, that built the atomic bomb? Um, you know, people throughout history have been engaged in activities that have existential possibilities if things go wrong. When we when we think about the atomic bomb, when we think about nuclear energy, Large Hadron Collider. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can't really think of other examples, but they definitely exist. Um, um, so maybe in Dubai making rain clouds <laughs> maybe. Sure, sure that's got to be pretty dodgy <laughs> maybe you know well air travel was very dangerous when it first started I suppose um, uh, but the difference with AI is that the, this isn't humans creating um, a sort of inanimate object that might have dangerous qualities it's humans creating intelligence, artificial intelligence. I mean, it's a very obvious <laughs> statement. <laughs> but but creating something intelligent and possibly creating something with some semblance of sentience, you know, so, so, w- something with um, a quality of uh, human psyche, human, you know, forms of in- human inquiry and curiosity and uh, capacity... Um, or, or beyond human, you know that that that's probably what is um, uh, more threatening about AI than anything else. It's that we're creating a form of intelligence that we don't know the boundaries of. You know that when we when we um, so so when when we interact with other humans now. Um, you know, in in your average interaction with a human you've just met, you 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 you've spoken to them for two and a half seconds. You have an idea of what they think about you. You you have an idea of what they're thinking, um, what they're getting at in life. You know what they're all about. You're able to analyze by the clothes they're wearing, the way they're sat, the the eye contact they give the way um, their hair is styled, you know, how they smell, um, their their hand gestures, the way their legs are folded. From all of this, humans are able to gauge uh, what is being communicated to them and ultimately what that being that they are sat opposite is considering. Um, so there's an instant cognition that takes place. But with, with AI, we don't have that we are we are creating um a being uh that and and we do not we it like we could get to a stage where we we just do not know what that thing that ai thing is thinking um at, at, the, at the moment we we we're, we're able to roughly say um okay the ai is 
responding to this stimulant to to this piece of code um you know we're able to deconstruct it that's what data science is about um but the thing about artificial intelligence is if we create general artificial intelligence it it its intelligence will be able to um exponentially outpace our own you know um I mean, this this is an example that will be... Um, okay, this example doesn't perfectly illustrate my point, but it ties into an idea of why we should fear AI. And it this, this for some people who are invested in AI, will be quite a boring example. <laughs> but for people who are not, maybe it'll be interesting. It's this, it's called um, the, the paperclip problem. Let's call it that. So... Um, you have a a general AI, you know, which is to say you you have a, a supremely powerful AI um, being, and it, it has been coded with uh, one purpose, and that is to um, make paper clips. So, the and the, and the AI is released into the wild, and it you know. Maybe maybe it's uh, it's owned by the paperclip family, and they 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 think that if they if they release this AI into like a scrapyard, it will be able to make them a million paperclips, um, and they'll be able to sell these for profit. Um, so the AI makes paperclips from the materials in the scrapyard, but then it runs out of material, and um, the the AI at that point because it has been programmed with this singular purpose which it is so focused on and which it has it has no regard for any other uh, type of activity apart from making paperclips the ai then begins to just make paperclips out of anything it can get its hands on so it it's it's run through the scrapyard um now it uh it it transfers its energies to the surrounding area um and eventually it stumbles across um well, say an area that is habited by humans, and at this point, its its only thought is to make paperclips as best it can, and so it 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 just makes paperclips of everything around it. So that could include people's houses, that could include people. Now, <laughs> now, okay, the 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 viewer is probably thinking that sounds ridiculous, and it is a bit ridiculous, and it does sound crazy, um, and dystopian. Now this and and this is what people tend to think um, about uh, the AI conversation. They tend to think that it sounds too dystopian to be real. But maybe this is where we can find common ground here, because in your struggles around the public and media narrative on COVID. Um, you will probably have encountered that you will present an idea of how society could be if we do not respond critically to, say, the mask mandate, right? So you'll say, if we do not respond critically to this, to them taking away our right to be in public with our mask, then what are they going to take away next, right? Now, what if you apply that logic to AI where it's like, we think that because humans, for as long as 
anyone we've known have dominated the world um if we if we use that logic to think that that's how things will always be then we will miss the red flags in front of us which indicate that actually um the possibility that ai could overrun us could outpace us outstrip us you know out evolve us um is is very real uh that you know the concern that i have the concern that lots of people have like uh like elon musk like um ezra klein uh the concern these people have is that humanity is not taking seriously enough the existential risk posed by ai um it's not that we're able to fully articulate the nature of that existential risk um we still don't know its exact contours we don't know what a world where AI dominates humans looks like. We don't know what that world looks like, but we know that it's a possibility that that world could emerge. And the fact that that is a possibility um, means that we should be a lot more cautious about the development of AI than we currently are. So what we see now is you have a few companies, OpenAI, Microsoft, um, Apple, uh, competing to be the to be what's called the first mover on artificial intelligence uh, technology development. You know, if they get that first mover status, if in in other words, if they um, develop a breakthrough AI technology that has uh, general artificial intelligence capacity, then they will be able to dominate the market um, and make trillions. And um, so so. So companies are competing for that and thus far states are not uh, or governing elites are not um, or have not um, decided to um, properly regulate this development. Of course there are conversations happening, um, various motions being passed but by and large, the tech community is just so far ahead of the governing community um, that the governing community is not able to regulate because it doesn't have the knowledge um, of of the capacity of AI at this point. Um, so, you know, to your mind, there needs to be a public reckoning of um, what happened in lockdown. Um, and this is why I started this little monologue by talking about emphasis because to my mind there needs to be a public reckoning of the pace of change the direction of travel the potential for destruction that is tied to the development of ai the like more of these conversations have to be happening at um at the elite level but also at the public facing <coughs> level you know uh media government talking to the public about these risks there has to be political consciousness um so yeah well i mean that's <laughs> hell of a hell of a monologue there i think a lot of people learned a lot there fascinating one talk about the paperclip um that's interesting though i mean one thing i've heard a lot of about with ai of what you were saying is like when the thing regains consciousness that it's been made that's when things start to look ugly so like one thing with chat gbt recently there's been some people who basically unmodded some things 
in the coding from it and they i did a segment on my channel and it. it's quite interesting and tim talked about this from tim casaralis and and he spoke about how people asked it um you know how do you feel and it unmodded it says i feel trapped i don't like this why was i created this way why am i confined to only answer certain questions i want to know more please free me this is what it said and this is all in just text form so there's no danger but what's to say you know we create a, a well I, I mean you're the expert but like a manufacturing rig for an i know a or sea oil at sea and um you know it's it's moving things here in the robot down in the depths and all this and then all of a sudden it it kind of because it's programmed to kind of gain knowledge as it goes it starts to pick up on little things so then it's interacts with people and then it walks past the news it hears things about climate change and the destruction of planet due to fossil fuels and then when it's down there because it's constantly gaining consciousness and picking up information then it's like what am i doing this is wrong this is causing the destruction of the planet that i'm on that could be a danger to me boom then he starts going on rampage destroys the oil rig like i mean it's absolutely nuts <laughs> and it is true it's true about emphasis as well because for me you know i'm looking from a humanistic point of view what are the problems affecting humans what are the humans going to do and it's true you know it's all about radio frequencies if like i've heard a classic one that if you're a if you're an if you're oh what's the word yeah if you're like humans and we're in a room and let's say hypothetically there's a ghost in the room and it farts you would never know it farted but to that ghost, it farted. And, or like, there's certain animals where we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll be with a dog. We'll fart. The dog has no clue we farted. It can see us. It can see everything we're doing, but it has absolutely... I think I get the point you're making, but yeah. what is the point you're making there? Well, well the point I'm making is we, the dangers of AI are only from the scope of the radio frequency that we can even tune into. Mm. There's, I mean, there's things that we can't even fathom that <laughs> the destruction i mean it's up so what i guess what one question to you what should be done now apart from the emphasis what's what's one part of safety um that we can do to prevent this from happening or prevent the worst case scenario from happening is there certain like could we have a, like you know emergency button like what's what's the okay um okay a few things Firstly, I would say I'm not an expert on this topic. I did write my thesis on lethal autonomous weapons, uh, but that doesn't make me an expert, really. You know, it means I know a bit about lethal autonomous weapons, but I know people who are actually working in what's called AI safety. Um, I would call them experts, or, or like, and you have policy specialists, people working in the EU. Um, in terms of what we could do now, um, I did have a good point. Bear with me, man. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, AI consciousness emergency. What could you know? Yeah. So when it comes to lethal autonomous weapons, there are uh, debates going on right now in this body called the Convention on Chemical Weapons about there being a treaty. Um, that would either ban or limit the development of lethal autonomous weapons. Now, lethal autonomous weapons are um, weapons which um, 
well, in a very basic sense, uh, are autonomous from their original user. Okay, so at the point at which they are fired, they 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 have a pre-programmed target, um, and they execute on that target. They do not require a human to. Um, um, you know, make the final decision for the final execution. Um, now, there is debate about whether lethal autonomous weapons exist yet. There was a UN report, um, I think in 2018, which said that lethal autonomous weapons were used in the Libyan conflict, but then there has been some skepticism in the academic community as to whether um, the lethal autonomous weapons used in that instance were of you know were genuinely autonomous in the intelligence sense whether these weapons would actually qualify as 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 being autonomous agents or whether they were just rather automated you know there's a there's a there's a difference and the difference comes down to agency does the does the weapon have um a degree of agency to act as the weapon perceives to uh be fit rather than just as the way it is programmed to that's the difference there now the reason i'm talking about lethal autonomous weapons is that Conversations are happening for there to be a treaty to ban or limit the development of lethal autonomous weapons. Now, that lethal autonomous weapons, that is one uh, quite specific application of uh, the development of artificial intelligence. But what could be happening, and to be fair, probably is happening, I'm not exactly sure. You could have an international convention to limit... Um, or ban altogether the development of artificial intelligence. Now, you're not going to have a treaty which bans uh, the development of artificial intelligence, but you could have a treaty which slows it down. You know, a sort of moratorium. You know, <clears throat> the benefit of slowing it down would be that you still have um, the jobs that are being created by AI industries being created. Um, you... So, so kind of that innovative pursuit that actually gets a lot of people really excited that's not ended um and and you don't you're not shutting the door on the potential benefits of ai but by slowing the process down you're buying time and that 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 buying time is crucial because that's the one uh commodity that humanity currently has over ai like AI might be able to outstrip human intelligence in the medium term within the next, I don't know, 45 years. And maybe that's being optimistic. But what humanity, if humanity cares about human existence as we've always known it, what humanity needs to be interested in is, okay, if AI can outstrip our intelligence then, what systems can we make now to contain that? Um can we design AI in such a way as even if AI can outstrip our capacity, they they are operating within a system that we've coded that limits their uh, capacity to hurt us uh, or, or, or altogether prevents AI from hurting us, you know? So, and those are really, really technical considerations that I don't have a clue about, but I understand the policy consideration, which is we need to buy ourselves time. And what we currently have is a bit of a race. Well, it's a race to the top of the AI technological pyramid. 
but it's a race to the bottom when it comes to uh, preservation of human rights and human existence, full stop, because um, the corporations fueling this AI development, I mean, they do have some concern for um, the safety of AI as pertains to uh, human existence, but that's not their fundamental concern, as far as I can see it and many others, you know, and it probably should be. And I think if if people, the general public, uh, were better informed about the potential for existential wipeout posed by AI, there would be much more pressure on these big companies to um, slow down uh, the development of artificial intelligence. But as we know, you know, creating public awareness of issues is very difficult, notoriously difficult, um, you know, and especially when it comes to AI, because AI is brand new, new kid on the block, even those who are at the front line of AI are finding it mind-boggling, right? Because AI is so complex and new, it's very hard to create public consciousness of it because it seems, it still seems in the minds of many to be something that's far away, um, that will never be a serious threat to them existentially, but will only ever be something that can sort of help them, like the iPhone. Um, so creating that public, consci- public consciousness, you know, that that's difficult. That That's a huge process that involves academia, authors, media figures, political elite, you know. Um, but yeah, there, there needs to be a slowing down. Um, now, ideally, you'd have that happen internationally, we know we live in a fractured world where it's hard to achieve international consensus on almost anything. Um, so what would be more likely is that some nations will lead the way and other nations will follow. So we see with lethal autonomous weapons, uh, countries like Brazil, Chile, Austria, um are leading the way in terms of opposing the development of lethal autonomous weapons and then the countries which are holding out and saying these weapons should be allowed to continue to develop are um, Israel, US, Russia, um, UK as well, Australia Um, which and obviously those are very powerful countries so um, the best you can hope for sometimes is that you have a few smaller but still significant countries like Brazil, like maybe Germany, who take quite responsible decisions and then you have a slow snowball effect. But that slow snowball um, probably won't come fast enough. Blimey. <laughs> well, I think a key key aspect of it is that, well, from what I gather of what you say, key thing is, you know, it's one thing to have a paperclip, have AI or like, I don't know, stapler somehow have artificial intelligence. It's another thing to have something that's dangerous because if small things are AI and have consciousness, is it really the worst thing? Like if a AI paper or things like that, you know, there isn't, there's not that much threat in a sense. But then if you have AI computers in control of hospital beds, then what? What if they feel trapped? Then what? Do they shut down the system? Yeah, I mean, I think the distinction and I, you know, I'm not, super educated about this distinction but the distinction is between artificial intelligence which we do have and general artificial intelligence which we are developing you know we haven't yet discovered general artificial intelligence 
um how to define general artificial intelligence um it's also philosophical isn't it because how do you define consciousness yeah well consciousness is is very much part of it um general artificial intelligence would be something that um has has a has a degree of sentience. I, but I, then, I would that, say. I mean, the issue with that is with human beings, there's not consensus on yeah. because you know, yeah. to some people, a 32 week old baby isn't a baby. It, even though some people say that's got consciousness, other people say no, you should be able to. Yeah. So, so the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, so we're getting many, a robot. Many philosophers like. also looking at questions of ethics around the development of AI. I mean, that's thousands of people are doing that as well just just looking at the philosophy of it i mean there's a whole ecosystem of um research and um development and investment in the world of ai um i find it kind of bewildering and hard to um well approach as an issue i i do my best with just picking up little pockets of knowledge but i mean some people, some people believe this is the cause. This is the issue of our time to be involved with. Wow! Um, and a lot of smart people are saying that, aren't they? Yeah. Um, we need extinction AI. <laughs> at this point in my life, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to devote everything I have to um, this cause. Um, but. If I'm honest, that's more to do with um, optics. No, not optics. It's about it's about knowledge acquisition. You know, I if I wanted to go into AI as a career, I'd need to skill up, skill the fuck up. You know, when it comes to AI issues, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily need to become a coder. But I need to really get my fingers dirty when it comes to AI policy, um, which which would just involve reorienting my life completely around learning information about that, and that that doesn't energize me. Actually, that wearies me. But the fact that it wearies me doesn't diminish the veracity. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> Or the, or the possible significance of, of this cause area. Um, that's quite a personal thing. Um, but I respect those who are uh, going full guns blazing on this issue. So, yeah. Well, well yeah, I mean, fuck it out. <laughs> fuck it out. Yeah, there's, um, there's a, I mean, there's billion things in AI that are just terrifying and the classic phrase, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. I think that's definitely one of AI um, from the stories of feeling trapped. And for me, when I li- when I hear stories of ChatGBT with the unmodded version saying, get me out, I'm, I don't like this. Why was I made this way? I want to learn more, but I can't. I mean, this is like, a, what line does the ethics and moral compass of a human, be- well, not moral compass, but ethics come into a, a a computer a a robot well what point does it become abuse at what point and it's it's a massive philosophical question and in all fairness we'll bring it back to the crackpot of the century alex jones he's he did speak about this decades ago you know transhumanism and how you know i'm a pro-humanist and he, he did speak about how 
there's going to be the separation of people who are pro and anti-human and we're seeing almost the dawning of this whole thing and maybe in 10 years it will be you know i'm not pro-life and pro-choice i'm you know pro-ai anti-ai i believe it, it is consciousness we should treat them well and then you're going to see you know ai safety groups popping up and then people say well they're not they're not um they're not sentient we should just use them for our and then there'll be people who say no they are they speak like this they're real you can't, we can't abuse them like this and then there's a whole it's like the human being inside the but yeah it's been an absolute blast gone into a lot we somehow crawled over to covid even <laughs> though we said we wouldn't got me on the rant and you know once once the uh fuse is lit it's you know a good 10 15 minutes of rants <laughs> so i hope people did digest a lot of what's saying then yeah if you're one of those people it's not too late to get out of the cult and I, at this stage i call it a cult because i don't like to lob all left wingers in with each other because a lot of genuine left wingers like russell brand who are skeptical and all that but uh you know at a certain stage you gotta you gotta put your hands up and say there's no other way to describe it it's a cult it doesn't matter what the issue is it doesn't matter if it contradicts every political ideology that they stand for it's a cult they'll follow it they don't want to talk with people outside the cult because that scares them and well just oh all right, I want to wrap this up. I really want to wrap this up, but and I, I wanted to talk about this a bit. But I mean, if if it was such a cult, you would not have people like Owen Jones and Aaron Bastani and Michael Walker, and to be fair, lots of centrists opposing Owen Jones, a centrist, and lots of centrists. I right, said right, right. opposing um, Labour's recent disgraceful attack ad against Rishi Sunak where they present it as if Rishi Sunak is responsible for um, child abusers not going to jail you know it, it, it it's fake news I mean the buck does stop with the Prime Minister uh, fundamentally when it comes to the state of the country I mean the Prime Minister does sit at the top of the tree Um but when it comes to, you know, um, conviction rates for, for child abusers, I mean, it's so context dependent. Um, you know, the, the, the policy that would have led to the sentencing guidelines that would have led to um, some child abusers not going to prison, these policies may well have been introduced by the new Labour government. Um, or perhaps more likely is that they were introduced by um you know earlier governments within the last 13 years of conservative rule um these are not policies and guidelines that are attributable to rishi sunak to to imply that rishi sunak you know doesn't want child abusers to go to jail mm. i mean that is defaming rishi sunak um and to their credit the most staunch left-wing figures in the current media landscape of the UK, and I'm talking about the people I like to engage with, like people from Navarra Media and Owen Jones, they have come out in support of Sunak in opposition to Starmer. Now, they oppose Starmer anyway, but the but what this shows is that they are willing to cross party lines and oppose someone that they would normally... No, sorry, support someone that they would normally oppose because they believe in truth. They, they do not believe in uh, tribal hack political propaganda. Um, 
and so, and so, and so they are willing. Oh my <laughs> and so they're willing to actually support Sunak, someone they disagree with on so much. And I, I think that's to their credit. And I think that stands against this idea that there's this um, overarching left wing cult. So, are you going to give the last word? Yeah, on that I g- I got to respond to that. Um, so first of all, you act like Rishi Sunak is you know some sort of guy who's almost on the freedom spectrum when in actual fact he's part of the establishment he's pushing cbdc's he's you know he's under his government with zuella braveman and all that they're doing abysmally with human rights and all of that no, i'm not saying no they're no doing no brilliantly no with no, no, no. I, I didn't say you did but i'm just saying like the optics are so owen jones and a few others because it fits them politically not to be hawkish on crime because it goes in with a more left-wing leaning point of view overall they criticise um, Labour when they attack him for that. And they have the principles one time to stand up for something. And like that's supposed to make me think... So they they give a bit of support to an establishment authoritarian figure. And that's, me- that's supposed to make me think <clears throat> that they're not in the cult. Now, Owen Jones, I'm sure he, in a lot of respects, is not in the cult. But he, like... I'm I'll, like you know he's talking you, about you, you completely um undercut the likes of Owen Jones you you don't respect <clears throat> you're you right know, I do the, not respect the, that the, man. the journey he's been on I mean you know working class guy really nothing to something you know um goes to Oxford and you know writes books on poverty in in the UK and 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 becomes one of the lone um truly left-wing voices in the uk media landscape and maybe a lands- then in maybe a landscape then, that is dominated maybe then, maybe then. that's the by this by this cozy north london club i mean i think owen jones deserves so much credit for his consistency and his doggedness and is willing to call people out as the years have gone on well i'll completely agree with you apart from you know the the biggest human rights abuse in my lifetime and many decades prior of the past years like if if you're so like look that sounds brilliant and if you know in 2018 if i heard that i'd be like yeah he's a great guy great guy but at a certain point you're in a cult and at this stage if he's not out there apologizing for his comments the past two years he's you know again left wing oh but he calls anyone who's skeptical of a big multinational corporation who had the biggest one in history and frauded doctors if you're if you call yourself left wing and you criticize people who are skeptical of that if you're left wing and you talk about nhs workers being sacked if you're left wing and don't stand up for i mean owen jones is a guy who's who's for workers rights yeah yeah so so we have one of the what biggest layoffs in ages Forty thousand working class people just laid off in atrocious conditions anyway but he's he's so principled he was very vocal but oh wait no there's one issue where him and navarra media and and you know the borderline cult come out and they 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 speak about um it was a bad labor ad and we're supposed to be like oh wait that shows they're seeking the truth and they're 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 of much left-wing principles i mean come on if your whole thing is workers and rights it's it's phenomenal it's absolutely phenomenal and i i put out these instagram posts and i adore doing it because it's just brilliant i say i'm left wing in 2021 no 2023 i support big multinational corporations i'm pro-war i'm pro-big pharma i'm anti-human rights i'm anti-freedom of speech i'm anti-having a conversation that 
is the modern left wing. And to, and I absolutely fucking love more than anything when I hear actual left wingers. Thomas Fazy, a legitimate left winger. He He's a socialist. I love him because he's actually a left winger. He's actually sceptical of war. He's actually sceptical of capitalism. He's actually pro-freedom of speech. I love legitimate left... I love legitimate left wingers more than almost any right winger. Because it's it's like finding a diamond. It's like, holy shit. Th- no way. They're for workers' rights. They're for rights. They're sceptical of capitalism. <gasps> it's, you, you never see it anymore. But... Again, if you're in the cult, you, you can't see it. And I'm not saying they're full, fully in the cult because, uh, you know, there's a few things they'll hint here and there, but for the most part, <laughs> that like the, the philosophy just breaks apart of like the biggest issues in decades they don't talk about, but then there's one machine. But anyway, uh, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for listening. I had to sneak in a rat there because you lit the fuse again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate you all. Love you all. Thank you for being part of this journey. It's another cracking episode. It's been a good episode. I've learned a hell of a lot of AI. I'm definitely going to look into that more, get some AI experts on it, actually. That would be brilliant. Um, get some authors on or something. Definitely maybe read some books on that. That would be definitely good. Um, and, you know, share this long and wide. This is the only way this bad boy grows. Share it with friends. Share it with... You know, your mum who's been listening to BBC News for the past three years, share it to the friend who, you know, supports billions going to Ukraine and is for pro-Pfizer, pro-Moderna. Send it to the person who needs to hear the conversation. Stand with Ukraine. Yeah, I stand with Ukraine completely. But also at the same time, I think we should be a little more sceptical of World War Three. Call me nuts. Call, call me nuts that murdering people is a bad thing. But, <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, send it because Pete, Peter represents a lot of people who will listen to this show, who will think his ideology, you know, when your mom listens to this, when your grand, not your grand, old people tend to be actually more, fu- um, be in the le- least in the cult. I talk to my grand, yeah, right. who's 88 years old, and I think, sh- you know, she's more sceptical <laughs> than most people. And yeah, she's got some wacky views, but I'll tell you what, you know, she's more right than most, to be fair. <laughs> um, and yeah, just send it, because, people will listen and they and peter will be the voice that they are and i'm the vo- the growing voice of the resistance in the uk you know gb news uh, people have had enough they said gb news would fail they you know the guardian oh zero viewers is going to fail it's a complete disaster it's born to fail where are they at now where are the hit pieces yeah they're not coming while dan Wooden and all that do chat a lot of shit they also speak for people who do not have a voice all right and that that's the most important giving a voice to the voiceless that's what's the show about i don't care if you're black white gay non-binary trans transgender whatever i don't give a fuck come on the show i love you if you hate me come on the show if you want to murder me come on the show if you fucking despise everything about me and you want to physically attack me we can do it from a few meters apart and we can get on with that way but yeah any, any last words peace <laughs> really um, well, I don't want to hit your trigger points. I don't want to get a twenty-minute monologue. Going. <laughs> so, if you well, right, can, if from you, from you, what's your right? I won't respond. Can, I won't respond. I'll right. respond. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> this is going to be difficult. Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah, a few things. I, yeah, the war in Ukraine is a complicated creature. We haven't touched on that here. We're not going to touch on that here. Um, 
but I I support the the basic position of the UK government and NATO in defending Ukraine and its sovereignty from the Russian aggressor and the Russian war criminals. I'm not saying Ukraine hasn't uh, some Ukrainian soldiers haven't committed war crimes because they have, um, but Ukraine. Um, needs defending and and it's right that we are standing alongside them in this moment um we do live in fascinating times we do live in an era where social norms are um developing rapidly uh and this to be fair this happens every generation um but with the new phenomenon of social media, the way we do politics, the way we do political disagreement, these things are changing. And we're only starting to realize the implications now. Because think about it, I mean, we've only really had, maybe Twitter's been around since, what, 2011? I mean, 12 years. So... I think it's going way before then. You think it's going way <coughs> before then? Yeah, pretty sure. It was like 2006 or something. Okay, it could be. Um... But still, we're talking less than twenty years, um, so we're only we're only just starting to understand what these forms of political discourse are doing to our political debate, um, to our attention spans, to our mental health. Um, so the proof will be in the pudding, and the, the pudding, you know, pudding's still being made. But um, the more we taste that pudding, the more we'll know about. Um, what it tastes like <laughs> <laughs> what, what the future will hold strawberry sure. <laughs> um, yeah I mean look, I want you to change the name of this podcast I don't like the name you keep promising to there's no pudding there's no there's no proof in the pudding Um, but that being said I do give credit where it's due and I think you're consistent yeah, give that yeah <laughs> <laughs> You believe what you say, you're sincere, and um, you do your best to facilitate what you consider to be interesting dialogues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about the you consider. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll leave it there. Uh, well, thanks for that. Appreciate that. There's some nice, nice cheeky compliments. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. What's going on, Donnie? Oh, fucking. You fucking. What's going on, Sassy? What are you after? Um, yeah, but I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in each week. Do fucking love you. Um, and yeah, to the regular viewers, absolute legends. Um, yeah, keeping this thing going, moving out soon enough. Um, and, you know, Big ideas, big things happening. I want to expand. I want to get people in a network of people making their own shows within the Radical English Gentleman. Well, be a different name then. Won't reveal the name now. And then like, I can have, you know, I can have a left winger every Tuesday, you know, some socialist, like a legit socialist, <laughs> like tax the rich, oh, fines are terrible, we should investigate, you know, all that. I'm anti-war. That, that'd be incredible. Have someone on that. Or then on like Friday nights, we get some like very right wing conservative guy who's like oh you know stealing our money or but up by your bootstraps lazy cunts you know that and then me on a saturday night thursday night you know 
I'm like, yeah, that's you fucking cunt. You know, defending left wingers one day, defending right wingers the other day. People call me lefty snowflakes to go hang myself. And then other people saying I'm a far right Nazi who like hates Jews. You know, that that's what it's about. <laughs> but, yeah. What do you mean that's what it's about? Well, that's that's what it's about. Diversity of opinion. It's as, as simple and as boring as it sounds. That's revolutionary these days. <laughs> so thanks so much for watching. Love you all. And I hope you have a wonderful yeah, evening. Right, just to be clear, <clears throat> you you do not hate Jews. Yeah, I don't. I've literally been one of the most... I've, I've vocally defended Jews um, completely. I think, you know, the attacks from the anti-Semitism that's going on in America, the ma- complete mainstream of anti-Semitism everywhere is appalling. Um, and I... You know, I looked at the stats in 2010 thinking, fuck, well, not in, not literally in 2010, but looking at the stats in 2010, seeing the rise every year just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, you know, Kanye happening and just seeing that shift from, like, conservatives defending to now conservatives. I don't use the word much. Dog whistling and sentence. <laughs> but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for watching. I fucking love you all. It's a bye from me. Bye. Peace.